0: Dreaming with God. And when we're talking about dreaming with God, we're not really talking necessarily about nighttime dreams that we dream in the night. Though God does give dreams to people, and it's right throughout the Bible. Different people did dream dreams while they were asleep. But we're talking about the dreams or the desires that are on our heart and how to walk in those things. I first heard the term dreaming with God at a conference I went to, in 2011, a man called Danny Silk from Bethel Church, California, said, I'm now going to speak about dreaming with God. And I thought, I know what you're going to say. They're going to be really kind of worthy spiritual dreams, like uh, I'm going to plant ten churches, or I've got a dream to see a thousand people come to know Jesus, or Dreams that we feel are legitimate dreams as Christians, and of course, all those things are wonderful dreams, and uh, maybe they'll be than some of the things that you're dreaming about. But then he went on to read his dream list, the things that he was dreaming about. Number one on his dream list—not that it was the most important—the first thing he said was he wanted to drive a racing car on uh, a racing track in America. Thought what? <laughs> Christian leader, leading a huge church. thats one of your dreams. Then another dream was he wanted to spend the night in the White House. <laughs> he wanted to sleep there. Oh, it's an interesting dream. And another one of his dreams was I want to give away a million dollars. And that's a great dream. But what I realised as he went through his dream list, is I had narrowed my relationship with God and narrowed the permission of the good father down to only spiritual legitimate dreams, like ministry dreams or church dreams. And I didn't feel any permission to dream beyond that, really, and I'd closed down a huge amount of dreaming. So, this topic of dreaming with God, it touches on our identity as sons and daughters of a really good father. It touches upon intimacy, that as we're interacting with a really good father, we begin to dream. And then it touches upon impact, that we are called, in a whole variety of ways, to impact the world. And it will look different from person to person to person. So I went away from that conference and I thought, I'm going to start to dream. And like so many people, I got to my fifth dream and thought, I'm, I've run out of ideas. I don't know what to do, I don't know how to dream, really. We went to a dream, uh, Joy Barham, As she was there, she's Joy King now, and had some dream coaching of actually how do you connect out of your identity, intimacy, to begin to dream? Now, this is the first thing I put on my dream list. I wanted to see the film Jaws again at the cinema. Really important dream. Really, really important dream. I wanted to see Jaws again. So I wrote it to see Jaws again at the cinema. Five months after writing it down, I was in London Bridge, and there was this huge Jaws poster. And I, I am stopped in my tracks looking at this, and it says, Jaws, to be re-released at the cinema to celebrate its anniversary. And then I went on to the... believe me there is a place called a a Jaws community where the Jaws community talk all things Jaws and uh, the American community of the Jaws community was saying why on earth is Jaws only being released in the UK and not in America I thought I know I know why it's it's on my dream list so God I really believe this, orchestrated Universal Cinema to choose as one of its five films to celebrate its centenary was to release Jaws, only in the UK. And I went to see it again at the cinema, there was me and there was one other person I think. Yeah.
1: We're, a, we're, a passionate,
0: we're a passionate community, there's not many of us, but we're really passionate. And, uh, and I was there. Actually, uh, Clemence and I have a club called Shark Club. I've drawn her in. It's always good to have a, <laughs> have a community around you. And uh, our Shark Club went on a special journey to the IMAX this September, or last September, because he Jaws in IMAX. And she said to me, Dad, there were a room full of people the same age as you, with their special interest. <laughs> the poster came up and we're taking pictures and, and she said, didn't you notice that the annoying person coughing next to you? When I looked at you, you were like this. Two, two hours, four minutes. <laughs> and I've got another thing on my dream list. My favourite band, The Human League have unreleased songs sitting somewhere they have been there for 39 years. It's from an album that never came out. And if you're a friend of theirs, you get to hear them. So I need to become a friend of the band. But it's on my dreams. Well, maybe I should... I'll ask them. I'll email them this week. (laughs) That's part of dreaming, it's taking steps too. So dreams actually, you can see, bring our life alive and dreaming invigorates us, it energizes us, it invites creativity, it leads to innovation, it opens up possibilities, it creates exploration, expansiveness, it creates inner passion. It generates optimism, that sense of my best days are ahead of me, not behind me. And it creates community, because as one person dreams. I say my dream is to see the Human League. Pam shouts out, connect to them on Facebook. I think, yeah, I'm going to email them. It creates community, and we spur one another on in our dreams. So I was really getting into this dreaming stuff in 2011, and I said to God, there are seriously much more important things, aren't there, on on planet Earth right now than dreaming. And I said, really, seriously, isn't the evangelization of the world more important than our dreaming? And he said, he he dropped this phrase into my head. He said, dreaming is relational, intensive care for spiritual orphans. Okay. (laughs) So there is something in dreaming that brings our spiritual life alive when we come to Jesus we can still function, though we've become born again, with new creations, we've come to God. We can still function in the identity of an orphan. So it doesn't really matter whether or not you had the most wonderful mum, dad, dad, mom, family, brothers and sisters, siblings, and you think, I'm, 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 I never lived as an orphan. We, all of us, were spiritual orphans because we were living as enemies alienated from the good father. And so, this planet is actually full of spiritual orphans. And the ones who, through Christ, come home to the Father become sons and daughters. And really, we can see this in the natural that healthy children don't find it difficult to ask, dream, or imagine, do they? I mean, kids know what they want for Christmas, they know what they want for their birthday, they know where they want to travel, they know what they want to do, they know what they want to become. That, that children actually find dreaming really, really easy. And if you go into any kind of primary school, all the boys are saying, I want to be a premiership footballer. And all, 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 the, all the girls might be thinking, actually, I wouldn't mind being a premiership footballer as well in their own league. And there's just people who are dreaming big dreams because children find it easy. But there's also this other thing is as we get older, maybe we become disappointed, discouragement. We might become cynical, realistic, and suddenly we find ourselves functioning as these orphans. Mm. Now, if you've ever seen movies or whatever, or or experienced being an orphan, you know there's a sense which I'm all on my own in the world. And orphans really have to compete with one another for limited resources. There's a kind of performance and perfecting for worthiness and acceptance and belonging. There's a sense of being in the world all on your own and having no protection as a family. And orphans, if they've not got the sense of, I belong to a family, then everything they achieve in their life they have to do independently. So they focus on what can I do for myself on my own. And spiritual, being a spiritual orphan can lead to just focused on what's naturally possible with what I have. It's just me, myself and I. I'm on my own in the world. And what can I achieve through my resources or my intellect or my capacity or the people that I know? I'm on my own. And there's a sense of just being independent. And ultimately what's possible is only possible on my (coughs) own. And so it's possible then to have an identity that's it disconnected from the intimacy with a really good father that leads to asking. And orphans' mindsets or uh, orphan, spiritual orphans have a scarcity mindset as well. Mm. So spiritual orphans think the only resources available are the resources that I have in my bank account or in my time or in my gifts or in my talents. And so spiritual orphans often say things like, well, there's not enough time, and there's not enough resources, and there's not enough money, and there's not enough opportunity. Now, if you want to see what a spiritual orphan looks like, or or maybe you've experienced this yourself, go to anywhere where it's an all-that-you-can-eat buffet. And and you'll see spiritual orphans functioning in in an all-that-you-can-eat buffet. For example, you go to Jimmy's in the O2, which has food from all over the world. Now, a spiritual orphan thinks there's not really enough for me here. So, I can't just go with my plate just trying um, something from Japan or, or, or something from China. or, or I, I've got to load my plate up with everything, because they may not be enough. Because the resources are limited. And you've got to grab what you can now while it's available, because later on, who knows who might come here and eat all the chicken or eat all the crispy duck? (laughs) You just don't know. And there's ice cream at the moment, but who knows who's coming? And they'll eat it, because orphans, spiritual orphans, think there's not enough. There's limited resources. Grab it now, because there might not be more later. And then they load their plate up, and you look and you think, there's every food group on this plate. And on top of it, there's jelly. There's everything, <laughs> there's everything. Because there's a fear that maybe there won't be enough and maybe it will run out. And so if we have a mindset of with God that we're still spiritual orphans on our own, fending for ourselves, only able to do what we can do, we find that our biggest barrier to dreaming is our image of God. The biggest barrier to dreaming is what we think about God. So if we think we're on our own and he's not really interested in us, then our dreams become manageable dreams, small dreams, things that we can do without God. Indeed, when we're in survival mode, which actually some of you might feel right now, in the current economic climate and stuff, you might think, I'm in survival mode. How could I even begin to dream beyond my resources because I'm just about surviving? And that's where we need an encounter of our identity of sons and daughters, connection to God and intimacy, that we can begin to dream beyond (coughs) what we can do. See, spiritual adoption brings us into a kingdom where the mindset is there's always enough. That's the mindset of the kingdom is there's always enough. There's no scarcity in the kingdom. And so spiritual adoption through Christ, through his life, death and resurrection brings us into a place of spiritual adoption where we have the cry of intimacy, Abba, Father. And we're in this kingdom where there's more than enough, more than enough. So if the If if the spiritual orphan is actually in competition with every other son and daughter. Because there's not enough. There's not enough. I'm in competition with every other child of God. But when we understand spiritual adoption, we understand we're in a kingdom where there are more than enough opportunities for each one of us. There's more than enough possibilities for each one of us. And there's more dreams than we could even ask or even imagine. And we're not competing like in a buffet. (laughs) Trying to load our plate up. I want you to imagine there's a river flowing. And the the river's flowing this way, and we're in the river, and passing us is loads of dreams, possibilities, uh, travel, or ministry dreams, or kingdom dreams, or fun dreams, and it's all passing us. We can turn around in the river and watch (coughs) things come towards us. We can see a dream like Maybe it's a spiritual dream, plant a church, and it's passing us and we think, that's not really my dream. But I can call over to another believer and say, that's your dream. That's your dream, that church plant dream, that's your one. But if we're in the river as a spiritual orphan, we think, better grab the church plant dream, because there's not enough to go around, there might not be other opportunities. So I'm grabbing things that don't belong to me. But when we're in the river, we can see, ah, that one's mine. That one's mine and we grab it. No, no, that one's yours. Go on, brother. Go on to grab that dream. That one's your one. Because we live in a wonderful kingdom where we can let some things pass us by and we can confidently grab other things and we don't need to load our plate up and we can let things go by and cheer one another up on. See, the ultimate goal of dreaming is relationship, connection, connection and deep trust. See, God is beautifully relational. God is the most relational being on the whole planet. The Trinity is a perfect community of other giving love, of cheering one another on, and honour and love to one another. They are full of joy and they created the world because it just had to overflow so that then Adam and Eve could be brought into this relationship of love. And then God could say to them, I've got a dream to cultivate the whole earth. Adam and Eve, you're part of that dream as well now. And now you can go and I'll give and give you what do you want to name the animals? He draws them into this wonderful relationship. So he wants to get us to get to know him as he really is. Sometimes our Christianity closes down our personality. So you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. He might look at me and say, Oh, Jamie, you've got a peculiar interest in great white sharks. I know you love them. I love them as well. Very misunderstood creatures. And I just want you to see that movie because I know you love it. So I'm going to orchestrate the time and make sure it's released. Because I'm so relational. He's generous. Hebrews 11 says he rewards those who seek him. So dreaming with God fundamentally is about experiencing the father's heart. It's in intimacy, connection, that we grow in relational confidence. That it's in dreaming with him we say these are my dreams father. And he interacts with us and tells us about his dreams. Because Jesus says, "I'm, um, you're my friends. I tell my friends what I'm thinking. So dreams get formed through relationship. Now here's a great illustration that I heard. We love Sriracha chili sauce. Sriracha chili sauce goes with everything. everything. There's nothing you can't put Sriracha on really, is there? I don't know, Kellogg's cornflakes, I don't know. You I think in Mexico you could put sriracha on ice cream. Actually, everything in Mexico has got chilies on it when we went there. (laughs) It's a great country for for eating spicy food. So if I say to Rochelle, would you pass me the sriracha? I don't then think, I wonder if she'll pass me the sriracha. I wonder if she'll pass me sriracha. Oh, I'd better just check my plate that... Everything is nice and in order so that the sriracha is going to come. Now, I ask for the sriracha and the sriracha will be passed. I don't second guess it. I don't need to think about it. It's, it's coming. Now, when she might then say, I want some more sriracha on my food because actually we get through a lot of sriracha very quickly. It's frighteningly quick. Actually, it's speeded up. we we'll would be married... 27 years, and our initial sriracha could last seven to eight months. I think we're now on six to seven weeks. (laughs) So, as an aside. But but if she says, pass me the sriracha, I don't say, no, it's my sriracha. I don't say, now it belongs to me. I asked for it, now it's mine. I I passed it back. This is the kind of relationship we have with God where we say, Father, I'm dreaming about this, I'm dreaming about that, I've got this on my mind, I've got these things, and, and he's a good father and he passes stuff, and then because we're in this beautiful, yielded, trusting relationship with him, when he says, Do you want, I would like to, could you pass that to me? You say, yeah, Father, take that, take that. He wants to empower us and give us permission. But the trouble is, m- many, many believers are not comfortable with a relationship like this. It makes many Christians really uncomfortable to have this kind of identity and intimacy with God. Most Christians would prefer the Father to give orders to soldiers. Yeah. That's what most believers are most comfortable. And I know you can find verses where we are talking in illustrative ways of being like soldiers but many believers are more comfortable having a relationship with God in which they stand to attention and then he issues orders that's why sometimes we get so frightened of doing anything until we have a prophecy from someone else external to us because we fear that I might not be in his orders and so Many Christians will struggle with this idea of intimacy and identity because they want to be like soldiers. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me the battles to fight. Just give me my orders. Sometimes we're just more comfortable with being a servant. Now I know that we are all servants. and Jesus, who's the Lord of Glory, modelled servant leadership in the most remarkable and incredible ways. But he also says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. So I I think the Bible's an amazing book because it has the wonderful nuances of, I'm a friend, but I love you so much I want to serve you. But sometimes believers, instead of accessing the relationship and the intimacy and the asking, prefer to be a servant. I've got no desires, God. I've got no preferences, God. I've got no ambitions, God. I've got no thoughts on the subject, God, because I'm just a servant. I'm just a servant. And the other thing we find maybe more easily is the idea we're just robots. That we come to Christ and we come and we've got all these dreams and passions and artistic expressions or love for business or love for this. And then we think we come to Christ and we think, oh, now I need to just be a robot. I need to look and sound and value and speak exactly like everybody else. Just reprogram me, God. I have no desires. And that's not really in keeping with the Bible, because how can we be fearfully and wonderfully made? He knew me full well and have an ambition to be programmed to become someone with no desires. That doesn't make sense. But then the fear comes is, how do I know if what I dream is in the will of God? Because this brings us into a realm that's much more dynamic, much more intimate, and it brings us into a wonderful relational exchange. And that's why we have to hold this series all together, like the one that Rochelle said, hearing his voice and understanding his voice and the tone of his voice. Bill Johnson says this. He says, there is no question... That spending time with God changes our desires. We always become like the one we worship. But it's not because we're being programmed to wish for the things he wants us to wish for. It's because in friendship we discover the things that please him. He says that in his book, Dreaming with God. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he gives you the desires of your heart. In other words, hang out with God, get to know God, be friends with God, talk to God, listen to God, and he'll speak to you. The ultimate reason then is relationship, but there's also another important reason, is that our dreams would flow into the earth and impact the earth, that God might be seen and valued and glorified through our lives. So we're dreaming, but it's not in a kind of selfish sense. We're dreaming because we want to relate to him and interact with him. And we're also dreaming that our dreams might flow into the earth and show off God as a really good father. So we heard in the worship, we're running and this bucket's on our head of his goodness and grace and mercy. And and then the world looks on and says, uh, what's going on with you? We're showing off and magnifying and glorifying him. And so we're yielded people, we're surrendered people who are dreaming with God and our dreaming unveils the Father and people see us experience his goodness and that creates appetite in them to want to experience his goodness too. And we see often that when we serve the dreams of someone else it is part of unlocking our own dreams. It's interesting if you say with Joseph who had a, who had a, who had a dream of, and what God was going to do through his life but as he served Pharaoh's dreams his dream got unlocked as well. So our heart is ultimately I want to know you Father and I want to serve your purposes in the earth and I want to see Jesus glorified. So this dreaming happens As we trust him, as we surrender to him, as we say, God, I've got these dreams, but I don't need to control or dictate the outcome to you. I don't want a relationship with you where I'm telling you, God, this is what I can do and this is what I imagine. Now do it exactly the way I say, according to my time. No, we're just in a position of we avoid entitlement, we lay down frustration. We won't get offended at God. We won't judge God. We won't say, I'd be a better God than you. I know how to do this. Why won't you do it the way I want? And so we want him. We trust him in the process. We want it to flow out to glorify him. And every person on on this planet and in this room is God's workmanship and God's poem. Every one of you. Every one of you, before you were even born, God had purposes and plans for you to walk in, um, both for your joy and pleasure and relationship with him, but also to affect the world positively. Every one of you. Not one of you is left out of this. And so as you begin to dream dreams, some of those dreams are going to be beyond the scope of you, beyond the scope of your family, are going to be to love and to serve the location that you're in, whether it's your workplace, the street you live in, the things that you're passionate about, will flow out and bless the world around you. And any dream that will positively affect the lives of individuals around us will come up against some form of resistance as we pursue it. So you've got this dream to positively affect the, the, the world, And as you go into the dreaming with God on it, there might be battles around resources. There might be battles around people. There might be battles around um, different aspects of how that dream is going to come about. One of the key battles in dreaming is this, our our mindsets. Our mindsets, so God might give you a dream that you think it's going to be bigger than you, (laughs) it's going to be impossible for you on your own, He's not after you to do it on your own and you're going to be hit by a mindset that you're going to need him to transform. Mindsets are often barriers that stop us living our dreams. Usually our dreams get unlocked in our mindsets first and in our beliefs. Sometimes those mindsets can be like this. It could be today you begin to dream about something and then suddenly your mind will say, I can't because of my past. That's a mindset you have to overcome, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You have to renew your mind with that. Or I can't because of my family. Or I can't because of my education or my lack of education. Or it might be I can't because I don't have the time. It could be I can't because I feel too poor or I can't because I think someone else could do it much better than me. Now, if in that place of identity and intimacy, God has spoken that into your heart, we have to overcome mindsets. Often the biggest mindset we have to overcome is fear. It's scary to step into something that's new. Most people won't step into their, 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 their calling because actually there's a lot of fear To try something new. That's why so many of us settle in what we're familiar. And so those things get overcome as we renew our mind and walk with Jesus. As we're honest with him about our mindsets. As we come to him and say, you know what God, I don't feel I've got the education for this. And so when we realise actually it's an education and skill issue, we say, God, how am I going to learn these new skills? So, for example, imagine this morning, God, as you're dreaming with God, he talks to you about Spain. And you think to yourself, wow, that sounds really exciting, Spain. I don't know what that is completely. And you think, I can't go to Spain because I don't even speak Spanish. Now, you could stop there and say, well, I can't do that. I can't learn languages. Or you could say, "Ah, wouldn't it be fun to learn Spanish? And so you think, this is a really important dream for me. And you think, I I know God's got this for me. And you begin to learn Spanish. And then you think, but I can't even afford the Rosetta Stone language course. So you then think, I want to learn Spanish. I can't afford the language course. So you come to the father and say, father, would you pass me the language course? I'm going to need the language course to be able to learn Spanish. Suddenly you're in a relationship with God. He says, Oh, there you go, someone might lend you their Rosetta Stone language course, or someone might give you £85 and you go and buy the course, or suddenly a leaflet comes through the door, wow, they're, they're teaching Spanish in the local college, I'm going to enrol. But it's, it's these tiny steps of intimacy where you're saying, I want to see this happen, I don't know how it's going to happen. And then you step into it, and some of the resistance we feel is things not turning out as we planned. You think, what was this dream about Spain and I've learnt language, I don't know where it's going. And this throws us back on God and we we ask for maybe more clarification or we ask him questions. And then that's where sometimes we, then the Eastgate school come and, and they might prophesy over you. Or another brother and sister will suddenly say to you, I'm just feeling Spain for you. I don't know why Spain for you. And it's thrown you back on God and that dream you'd almost given up on comes back alive again. And in dreaming we just have to say I won't be limited by my logic or my wisdom or my imagination. Your plans and timing is always better than anything I could come up with. Most dreams come as a seed. You don't get a 10 year plan with God. He doesn't come and say dream with me, Spain, Rosetta Stone, move to Madrid. Start start an orphanage in in Spain, and then he lays it on, no, he says, Spain. (laughs) What? Spain gonna learn Spanish? That's all you start with, and then as you're on the journey, he begins to unpack it. He begins to walk with you. You take an initial small step with a dream. It's only a seed, it's a tiny little thing, and you begin to pursue it with God together. You take the first step. Then it evolves, then it matures, then it develops. So in closing, for each one of us, God wants to go beyond with us, beyond the realm of just asking. He wants to go beyond the realm of our prayer life and beyond the reach of our imagination, our thought life. He wants us on an intimate journey with him where the Father in his nature, power and creativity takes our dreaming and asking and thinking and praying beyond anything we could ever dare ask for and ever imagine. That we begin a relationship where we align with the one who has limitless possibilities and limitless resources. That in dreaming we begin to walk with the one who has infinite resources and reality in his realm. That we begin to understand that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places.